Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So this morning, we're kicking off this new series called The Last Words. It's going to lead us right into Easter Sunday. And we're going to be exploring this idea of what would Jesus do with the last moments of his life. He's knowing that this is coming to an end. What did he actually do? What did he say? Where did he go? Who did he hang out with? It's, it's actually quite fascinating when you look at the scriptures through this lens, because I want to take it through the concept of what would you do with your last, let's say, month of life. Just process that for a second. You have one month left. What would you do with your time? Where would you go? Who would you hang out with? Now, if I'm honest about myself, I'm going to try to spend as much time as possible on the things that I like to do. So I'm going to spend time with my family. I'm going to spend time with friends. I'm going to do the activities that I love. Right now, with it snowing again, you better believe I'm going to be on a lake somewhere fishing because I can't take snow anymore. I'm going to do all these things that I feel are important, but I'm going to be surrounded by the people that I love most because those are the things that are most important to me. Okay, I would eat the foods that I love. Think about your favorite foods. You only have like 30 more meals left, right? And so you're eating the things that you love. Uh, I would not worry about diet or exercise anymore because I don't care. I want to do what I want to do. I'm going to fulfill the life that I want to fill and get, I'm going to live my life to the fullest. And so as you're processing this for a second, what would you do with your last 30 days? 30 days. When we put a number on it, we start to put a value on it. When we put a number on something, it starts to have more of a tension in our life. Because right now, we believe fully that our days, we know they're numbered, but we don't know that number. And so we have days where we wake up and we just are like, I don't want to do anything today. And we take our days and we waste them when we could really use them. But then, but then when we start to think about that number, that number bothers us. It bothers me because that limitation says, what if I don't get to do everything I wish I could with my life? What if I, what if I need to get those big goals? I've got to get my bucket list. There's so many things, and I only have 30 days. I have so many things I've missed. I want to spend them the best way that I can and get the best, richest 30 days of my life. As you're processing your 30 days, and you're processing this number, and you're processing the tension that's there, we look at Jesus, and we see an example of how he spent his last days, his last moments, knowing full well that his day was coming. Jesus, on the road to Easter, or the the road to the cross is what I will say, on the road there, he is specifically using time very different, unfortunately, than we would. He spent time ministering. He spent time with people that weren't that great. He spent time with his friends He spent time healing people, and he spent time doing, that's very clear, check this out, he spent time doing the will of God, what God wanted him to do. I have more than 30 days, Lord willing. I don't know my entire time, but I have an unlimited amount of days in my mind right now, 
and I still don't always do the will of God in my life. I, I think like I've got tons of time, so I kind of take this like, well, maybe, maybe this whole thing that Jesus and God is teaching us when Jesus says to be a disciple maker, when Jesus says to love the poor, when Jesus says to help the hurting, maybe those are just mere suggestions and I'll get to them some other time. But the truth is you can do that right now, but man, Netflix binging is just awesome. Man, I had you don't understand the week I had. I had such a hard week and I just, I, all I want to do right now I mean, can you tell I've got this seasonal depression because the snow came? I was so happy. I'm like, it's gone. Now it's back again. Like, I just want to curl up in my pajamas and my socks and a hoodie and eat chips and dip nonstop. That's all I want to do right now. But I have unlimited time. I can do as much as I want for as long as I want, right? But the fact is, we do not know how much time we have. And every day that ticks off is a day that you're closer to your final day. And every day that we move close to that day, whether it be tomorrow or be 50, 60, 90 years from now, it doesn't matter. God has called us to be on mission for God no matter what. And Jesus is going to show us on our road to the cross how he used his time. And it's humbling. It's unbelievably humbling. And so today we're going to be in John chapter 17. For those of you who have your Bibles and Bible app, John 17, verses 6 to 27. And Jesus, we find him about to move into the Garden of Gethsemane where he is going to be uh, arrested by the Roman soldiers. So if you're familiar with the story of Easter at all, we have Jesus and his disciples. He has a dinner with them, the Last Supper. Uh, you see all these things that are happening towards the road to the cross. And the things that he does last, the very last thing that he's going to do before he's arrested by the Roman soldiers is he's going to use his time praying. I just want you to process this for a second. He's going to use his time praying. Now, one of my struggles as a follower of Christ is that I am a doer. Like, I want to go, I want to charge, I want to get things done. I want to climb mountains, I want to get my sword and whack down vines and things that are blocking me. I'm that adventurous guy. So slowing me down is like trying to hog tie a, like a greased pig. Like, I just don't want to slow down. I want to go, 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 go. That's how I'm made. Some of you are like, I'm exhausted listening to you right now, Jason. I understand. I can be exhausting. So, but prayer and slowing down is one of the tension points in my life because I feel like I'm not doing anything. Maybe you can relate to that. When I pray, I feel like, God, I'm not really doing anything. I'm asking you to do something. I'm asking things. But maybe that's because I'm praying wrong. Maybe my approach to prayer is completely messed up because prayer is actually doing something greater than I can do because I'm asking the God of the universe to intercede and to be part of a story here. I'm inviting God into the story instead of me saying to God, hey, God, I'm going to go do this. Do you want to tag along with me? Because I've realized at the ripe age of 47 that God is smarter than me. And maybe at this time in my life, if I really stopped, my life would reflect that I know that God's smarter than me. Because if I really believe that God is smarter than me, I would stop and ask him what I should do. But I don't. Jesus is going to the most intense moment in all of human history 
where he could be doing a tons of things, but he does this, it's fascinating. He's going to pray for his disciples and his friends, and then he's going to turn it around and pray for all of you. We see in the scriptures, John 17, he's going to slow down everything on the road to the cross. He prays for his friends and disciples, and then he prays for believers who are going to come after, which means he takes time to pray for all of you. Now, if I've got 30 days, I'm going to be praying about a lot of things. I'm be praying a lot. I will be praying for you. I would pray for you. But how much time and how much effort would I put into that prayer knowing I've got 30 days left? I'm going to pray and I'm going to do things, but I have an, I'm an overdoer, which means I'm going to do as much as I can in 30 days and actually slow down and ask God to do something knowing that I'm going to be leaving. And Jesus is a perfect example once again and always will be of how to do things the right way because Jesus' mission was the will of God or his kingdom come. He wanted to bring what God's ways are. He brought them to earth, God's kingdom, and now he's going to say, this is going to be really hard for my disciples, so we need to pray. John 17, and I'm going to start with verse 6 and go through 8. I'm going to break this down because it's such a rich passage. There's so much there, and kind of explain as we walk through it, um, and we dig into this right now. Jesus praying, John 17, verse 6. I reveal to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Jesus begins his prayer by acknowledging that God has a plan all along, and that Jesus has a purpose, so that they he's talking about are his 12 disciples. At this point, Judas Iscariot has already betrayed Jesus. And he is one of the 12 disciples, if that's a new name for you, who actually betrays Jesus and sells him out for money. He sells out his master for just money. And so he goes and actually sells him out. He leaves, and then Jesus is left with his 11, so he begins to pray for his beloved disciples. But Jesus gives us acknowledgement. They, all those guys were handpicked by God. They revealed God. You revealed to me who they should be. They are yours. And the verse says, you gave them to me. Now, in my Christian mind, in my Jesus story mind, I see Jesus walking around and he's saying, come follow me. And in my mind, Jesus is picking these guys. And I've heard many messages on this and the uniqueness of how he picked disciples that were the outcasts, the ones that didn't make it if Jewish rabbis. And so when I look at Jesus here, he says, I have them because you pick them out. So God, before, before this whole thing started, had picked out who these 11 disciples were going to be. He says, I want one, two, three, four, five, six. He picks them out. So Jesus says, hey, come follow me, knowing the whole time that this was God's choice. So Jesus is not acting apart from God in this story. Jesus is unified with the Father. And in this prayer, you're going to see the beauty of how God the Father and God the Son are complete sync with each other. Jesus was not often some crusade like, ooh, that guy's a really good fisherman and we need food and we're going to be hungry, so I'm taking that guy. It was God told him, you need to pick that man. And Jesus said, okay. Now, I wonder how this is happening. 
How does Jesus aware of this? Now, since we see Jesus being a prayerful person throughout Scripture, we see him getting away and connecting to the Father. I'm willing to say that his prayer life is very important to him because he's always doing it. And he's telling us and teaching us us how to pray as well. That in this connection with God the Father, both in spirit and in prayer, that he has his 11 disciples, 12 disciples, now 11, picked out specifically for such a time as this. It's fascinating when you look at it through that way. So if everything comes from the Father, we know that he's not trying to do something outside of God's will. Instead, Jesus didn't come to do his own thing. He came to do what the Father's plan was the whole time. I don't know about you in in my life. This is where my tension comes. Because when we get into this situation, if we're real honest, you believe that you're doing the will of what you want, like what I want. But have you ever considered that God has a story intertwined for you so rich and so deep that somehow we're in this partnership with God to be on mission with God for a story he already has for us? And I don't know, this is a huge theological, uh, just like, woof, this is tough to think about, right? Because if, if God is intertwining with us, how does that work? How does my choices that I'm making intertwine with the will of God? There are 25 million books you can read on this topic, and almost none of them agree. So to this morning, for the sake of our story, let's simply say, I don't know. But God is amazing. Because in this story, as our stories intertwined with God's story, the purpose of your life is already set. Your purpose of your life is to do and live the will of God. That is why you exist. You come and you live to do the actual will of God. And now you ask the question, I don't know what the will of God is in my life. Guess what? That's where prayer comes in. And inside of that, we have the scriptures in which we read through here and God reveals himself in so many different ways that when we are trying to live as a lone ranger, doing my own thing, my own faith, the way I like it, you actually are doing the opposite of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself did the will of the Father. So if the Son of God did this, I think you should probably do it too. But the tension comes. What if I don't like it? What if God's asking me to do things I don't want to do? What if God's asking me to go places I don't want to go? I don't, I don't like that story. When I was younger, I would sit and listen to the pastors preach. And those special Sundays, they'd have mission Sundays, and they'd bring in these people from all over the world. And I would see these people, and they typically came with their, you know, their, the, the clothing and the food and everything from where they're coming from. And I'm, you know, I'm 12 years old. And I'm like, I was so, like, I would, I would pray, dear God, please never make me do that. Please don't make me go to Zambia, God, please. I'll do anything you want. Don't make me go there. I was so terrified. I was so terrified that God's going to make, make me do something I don't want to do. Never once in my mind did I process, that's God's story for that man and that woman, but God's story may be different for me. But if he told me to go, would I go? At 12 years old, my faith was small. It was little. Right now, if God told me to go to Zambia, there would be tension. But I would pray about it. Because in my mind, the will of God, maybe I'm the only one. If I am, then forgive me. In my mind, the will of God has to somehow make me happy. 
I have to like it. I have to say, oh man, give me a new car. That sounds great, God. I love this. That somehow that I am successful by following the will of God, by somehow I'm rich by following the will of God. Somehow I get everything that I want, so I'm happy. Me, me, me. That's the will of God. And friends, there are actual pastors who preach that garbage on television. It's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ never said you're going to be comfortable, you're going to like it. The gospel of Jesus Christ never said that you won't be led to a cross. In fact, he says, if you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross and lead behind me because I'm going to show you the way. And so Jesus is showing us the way again in which the will of God, you obey even if you don't like it. And there's stuff I don't like. There's been stuff in my life, like, I don't like this. I've been through pain. I've been crushed. You guys have too. I know your story, some of you. You've been through things and say, I don't want to go through this. I don't want more pain. I want comfort. I want what I want. But that is not the way it works. When you are willing to give your life to Jesus Christ, not just to save you, but as your Lord. Because if Jesus is my Lord, he says I have to follow him and do what he did. And unfortunately for our pleasure centers, he was willing to give up everything. It's hard. This is hard. Like Christianity is hard. It's like I'm in this constant gym of training all the time. When does this get easier? And one of the things we talk about, some of you know that I I do marathon running and training. Running never gets easier. Marathons never get easier. I just go faster, which means it's still hard. And you may tell from my physique, I'm not exactly the quickest guy on the course. But training is hard. It doesn't get easier. And as you grow in your faith walk, God is going to take you to places always that are more and more uncomfortable because you're growing and getting stronger. There's always more because we are not yet to be just like Jesus. In fact, we're never going to reach it. But the will of God now becomes the purpose of my life. So Jesus is a quote-unquote character in the Bible, which we read from a distance, but I'm taking that glass away from you now and say, Jesus Christ is showing you how to live it. He's showing you right here in these words how to live it. One of the things I find fascinating about this short piece of passage here is that even though he's in this whole process, he says, I've been here and I've protected them. By the name you've given me, I've kept them safe. And what's going to happen right now is that we're going to find out as Jesus is leaving, he needs to pray for them because he knows how terrible it's going to be. He knows how hard this road's going to be. He knows that 11 young men are going to be sent into the world so that you're sitting at Mosaic Church in the year 2023. You are sitting here through some sort of descendant line of one of those 11 on mission to go tell somebody that told somebody that told somebody at a point in which you heard about Jesus Christ, either in your past or you're hearing about him right now for the first time today, that there is a line that comes from those 11 young men who said, no, God, we got Netflix, I'm busy. There's 11 of us, man. We can play some sweet online gaming all night long. I am so busy, God. I have so much to do, God, and we really have to be fishermen. Now you're ditching us. You decide to leave, 
And so now what we're going to do is go back to our old lives and do what we want again. It was a great three years. We wish you all the best when you see God the Father. Can you imagine that story if those 11 men were that disobedient? Can you imagine the story if you're that disobedient? In the year 2023, I've seen a lot of things. We've watched a lot of things. This is what I'm hearing more than ever. Jesus Christ is coming back soon. I've heard it. I've heard it. Uh, the president of the Christian Missionary Alliance has says, we are in the last church days. So I don't know if it's tomorrow or it's 500 years from now, but it's not getting better. It's getting worse. But instead, this time how God deals with sin is Christ come back and redeems everyone, which means this. We're running out of time. Whether it's the end of your life, whether you have 30 days, whether you have one day, whether you have 50, 100, maybe your great, great, great grandchildren's, we have a job to be on mission to do the will of the Father. And on top of that, on top of that, unity. He's asking them something so beautiful that we would be one as a church family as he and the Father are one. That the unity of his, him saying, I and you are connected. Everything's from you and me. I'm just obeying you. And so I need God to keep my family, keep them safe and keep them as one. Because if they don't, they will be divided and conquered. If they don't stay together, it's going to cause so many issues. And that's where we're going to take up our next passage, moving now to verse 13. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. He's saying this, hey, keep them safe from the evil one, but don't take them out. He's not asking for their comfort. He's not asking for their pleasure. God, would you do me a huge favor? Can you get these guys huge monster mega churches? And can you make them like the best speaker ever? And God, can you make sure that they have the coolest clothes and like everyone likes them and that they're popular? And God, can you give them tons of TV shows? And can you make sure none of that? He says, can you protect them from the evil one, but you need to leave them here because I've sent them out to do what your will was. So here we see the unity once again. God has a story that the story of the gospel is going to go through Jesus into his disciples, into his 11, and into the world. And so he says, don't take them out. I'm not asking that of you, God. What I'm asking is that I have sent them as you have sent me, so I'm replicating myself in them. And that's the word for discipleship. I'm replicating myself, and now they're going to do what I did out in the world. And through them, your story, God, your will is going to go right through, and the story's going to continue. So don't take them out, but God, the evil one's going to try to destroy them because the world's going to hate them, just like they hated me. What an intense prayer. What an intense prayer. When you slow this thing down, you're like, whoa, this is rich. There's so much in this. And God the Father the whole time has this plan. And Jesus Christ is doing the will of the Father as both God and man to save humanity. And he says, Father, 
The evil one's going to try to kill them. Protect them from the evil one, but keep, send them out into the world. So how does that work with American Christianity that says, come on a Sunday morning and do nothing the rest of the week? How does that work with American Christianity where, where we have believed a lie that we are here to be entertained, hear a good message, feel good, go home, nothing on Monday through Saturday? What happened to us that we were trained in this model that God is something that's distant and far and that he doesn't have a plan? What happened to our faith walk when Jesus sent his 11? That's what we are supposed to be doing. Nothing has changed from the message of the word of God here 2,000 years later. It's the same message, but we unfortunately have ignored it. Well, those are your pastors and all your missionaries. You guys, you guys are the 11. I'm just part of the crowd to sit here and listen. And this is what I'm telling you. That is not true. If you've been here long enough, you've heard us talk about disciple-making discipleship, which means we are a training ground in a gym to get you to understand how God has uniquely created you to be on mission for the story he has you on. And each one of you have a different mission and story. As a dude, I'm like, this is super cool. I want to, I'm the active guy, right? I want to go do stuff. Like, God, I'll go on mission. But then he says to me, Jason, you can't go on mission unless you slow down and pray. I'm like, oh, I don't like that part. Doesn't matter if I like it or not. Friends, you are on the same mission because we somewhere along the way, we've lost our purpose. We've lost our way. This has become something I add into my life. It becomes a convenience. It becomes about how I feel about things. Do I like that? I don't like that. I'm nervous. I don't want to share my faith. We've, we've messed this whole thing up because the purpose of what Jesus came for is to say, seek and save the lost. And so it comes through disciples. If you have not noticed in the year 2023, church attendance is now on the greatest decline ever in human history. The post-COVID church is absolutely reeling. I read all these blogs and pastors. Everyone's like, what's going on? What are we doing? What's happening in the state of the church? And this is what I think is going to happen. I think there's a revival of God's people to stop sitting in pews and go do something. I believe this. I believe that church is not about sitting in a pew, but church is about us being the body of God outside because they don't want to walk into these walls anymore. Amen. What people want is the light of Jesus Christ, and we cannot hide in this building. COVID showed us. Look at the mess that's happened. We are actually called to go out and be the light to people. Friends, as your pastor, I am modeling this every week in multiple different ways. And my favorite, favorite, favorite thing is the ability to be a light in dark places. I love it. It's such a joy to me because I look at these passages and I say, this is not easy, but it's good. Friends, is it time? Is it time that we do something? Is it time? Is it time that we stop hiding behind screens? Is it time that we stop having fake relationships? Is it time that we put up our bootstraps and actually do what Jesus told us to do? If 11 boys can do it, you can do it too. Amen. You can do it. Now, how in the world do I do this? That's why we're Mosaic Church. If you want to start the discipleship pathway and understand what this means, talk to myself, talk to Pastor Nick. We will get you understanding and living a life as a disciple maker because Jesus made it so clear in these scriptures. 
that these 11 have mission. But now we're going to turn the passage because he turns from his 11 into each of you sitting here today. Listen to this, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. You're here today because of their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory you've given me that they may be the ones we want as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Check that out. Jesus is praying for you that you get to be with him. Isn't that amazing? He's praying for you. 2,000 years ago, he's praying for you. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus is praying for you, and he's praying for the disciples, and he's praying for unity. He's praying that we are one as he and the Father are one, that we are working together in a joyous movement of being disciple-making disciplers, living the will of God, living for God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's calling us all together, but 2,000 years later, there are 25 trillion different Christian denominations. Inside of our walls, we argue about paint colors. We argue about what type of food we have. We argue about if you should or should not drink a certain type of coffee bean. We are disunified. We believe our church is the right church. We believe we have all the right ways. Hymns are better than this crazy modern worship. Shouldn't do this, should do that. My pastor should be in suit. Never here, just so you know that. We... There is going to be all these things that we're going to fight and argue and, and actually cause great division. But we're now, be clear, we're talking about biblically-based, gospel-centered churches. There are churches not preaching the gospel. I'm not talking about them. We will not be unified with non-gospel preaching, non-biblically-based churches. Amen. What I am talking about are those churches that do things a little different, and we don't want to be unified with them because they're weird. We don't do that. We don't hang out with those people. But Jesus prayed that they would be one because if we are not one, we are going to be divided and conquered. And look at the state of the American church right now. Divided and conquered. We blame schools for not having prayer in schools, but the churches aren't even praying. We point out instead of pointing at ourselves. Maybe the problem is, is that we have lost our way. And maybe the problem is, is that we've lost unity. What does unity look like? What would it mean to be unified? We're going to disagree on small things, and I'm cool with that. And I'm proud to tell you as Mosaic, us, leadership, we are unified with many, many, many churches in this area. Meet as pastors, we pray as pastors, we hang out, we talk. But I'm going to say this. Maybe it has to do a little bit deeper than just church. Maybe it really comes from the fact that we've lost reverence for God. I want you to think about this for a second. Have we lost our reverence and fear of God? Have we, have we turned away as a church from worshipers and obeyers of God into entertainers? 
have we changed and handed in our discipleship card to be consumers? Have we lost our way, friends, because when Jesus was praying this, he's like, have him unified. The thing that unifies us is the worship of God. How you do that? It's cool. You like hymns? That's cool. You like Christian hip-hop worship? That's cool. I don't care about that stuff. But do you worship the God of the universe? Do you sit in reverence of awe and be unified? Can we sit together as followers of Christ to be on mission together to do what Jesus asked us to in that prayer, which is to be unified, to be one as they, God the Father, Son, and Spirit are one, at the same time live the mission he's called us to? Are we too worried about the denomination name, the style? Are we so broken and scattered right now, and right now we're getting divided and conquered, and we're saying, God, God, where are you? Maybe it's because we're always trying to do something instead of slowing down and listening. Because if we listen, maybe God has something to say. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.